So if you're, if you're praying, please pray for this cold. I'm, I'm like a month in now, and I'm just about done with it. So that's why I'm not touching anything to do with communion. And uh, just because I was in JFK not so long back where everybody had a mask on and the coronavirus virus was going wild, everybody's accusing me of bringing it here. Well, that's a lie. I rebuke that. Oh. So I think the, for the last couple of times I've spoke, I've been, we started from humility and what Jesus was doing with humility and the process that happens within us. Uh, and then I started talking about this kingdom that Jesus is bringing and it literally is no different than a revolution. And if you remember in talking about a revolution, it is, and I will read the statement again, in political science, a revolution is, uh, is in a fundamental and relatively sudden change in political power. In our instance, it is a spiritual power and political organization or as a Christian organization or, f- or, or from the Jewish part from where God was sitting at that time, uh, which occurs when the population revolts against the government or the authorities that's there, typically due to the perceived oppression, political, social, economical, or political incompetence. That works in two formats, a complete change from one constitution to another. So the way things are done, way things are understood, the law and the platform that people are living by totally gets changed, or within the way that Jesus approaches things, it is a modification of an existing constitution, or to us, it's a modification of the law that was there. Jesus is expanding it. Jesus is growing from it. Or what was experiencing is growing from it. What I've been seeing, especially through this, I'm supposed to be actually talking on Jesus calming the storm today. I might get to it. But the, all I saw within what we're going to look at today, uh, which I will get done in time, and I kept seeing these images of railway lines. And you can't have a train. Well, you can have a train on a monorail. But if you have a normal train, it has two train tracks, okay? And everything when people are speaking, not everything, that's an exaggeration. Most of the things that I'm going to pull out today are these railway tracks between things that were in the Old Testament to things that are in the New Testament. So you've got an Old Testament track and a New Testament track. And Jesus, and well, in, in this case, Matthew, is taking from one, and when he gives an illustration of something Jesus is saying or doing, they're side by side, but they've been modified. They're, they're being advanced. They're growing. Okay? So, uh, so within it, now this one today is quite a good one in that, you know, we've got a boat, we've got a storm, we've got people freaking out. But there's a bit of a story before it. Now, as you know, I like my audio books. Uh, I've become so fanatical now. I have actually three on the go at some stages. And uh, like some of them will last, I don't know, 150 hours for some of my kind of like Lord of the Rings type, you know, trilogy quadruples that go on. And uh, I found myself this week in my shop really laughing out loud. You know, I actually laugh out loud probably 100 times a week, but I don't. But for some reason in these audio books, I was like... (laughs) You know, just like that. 
really laughing out loud because of things that were done. And then there was this one character that has a five-foot sword, and he calls it the Father of Swords, and he talks to it. And I love this character. And all of a sudden, he's killed. And I'm sad, and I'm depressed in my shop going, he's dead. He's dead. You can't kill him. You can't do that in that story. And all of a sudden, I thought, why don't I do that with the Bible more often? Why am I not living in my Bible? Going, oh, Jesus did what? Wouldn't it be so much more exciting? You know, I've got, the, I've got the Bible on audio, but it's got people like Samuel L. Jackson and that, and I just can't get into it. It's just like, no, I just don't trust you. And, uh, but it, within what we're about to go into today, I went through it like it was an audio book. And I kind of listened and thought about these characters like I was living in it. And I have to say, it changed it quite a bit. So, before uh, Natalie comes and shares, <coughs> I'm going to ask you to think about who are the characters. So each time we start to read a bit of Scripture, especially if I'm involved in it, think about who are the characters in this book, in this movie, in this, you know, whatever the thing is, I don't know what it is. So whatever it is, try and imagine the people so you can really touch base with it. Natalie, if you would, please. If we can make sure Natalie's is uh, uh, loud. How can you read from that? That's a microdot spy Bible. <laughs> when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Fantastic, thank you. That was like an audio book when I had my eyes closed. Who are the characters in this story? Who, who's in it? <laughs> Look at you all looking at me like, no, I hate it when he asks us questions. <laughs> so scary. Jesus, okay. Jesus, miss, miss Jesus. Okay, one point <laughs> to Susan over there. We have Jesus. Wayne's probably having a better look downstairs than I am. The disciples. All the disciples? Some of the disciples? The fisher ones. <laughs> okay, in your story, they're the fisher ones. I like it. There's a teacher. There is somebody, there is an expert or a pastor. A preacher, somebody that knows what they're talking about, which is unusual around here. So, 
Who else? Who else is there? There's a character. He has a job to do. Something tragic's going on. There's a guy that's got to bury his father. So the scene is, drama ready. The scene is, is that Jesus, because I have to look. I can't, I've got to go three pages back in Matthew to go, where did we get to here? Jesus is doing miraculous things. Before, only, only a paragraph before, if it's actually legitimately in the right section of timing, which as we know people in the canon put these places in the Bible, so not everything is where it is now. God, Jesus, sorry, who is God, yes, he's doing phenomenal things. Every demon-possessed person previously that was brought to him was healed. Every, all, which is a statement we don't get all the time, Every single person brought to him that was sick was healed. There are people like a centurion, the enemy, okay? The, the, the opposition in the whole story for the Jewish people walks in, sees Jesus as God, having power over authority, brings a child, it's healed. Jesus is exhausted. Everybody is seeing phenomenal things. I don't know if you've ever done like a two-hour prayer session where you've got lines of people. I've done it, and I tell you what, after I've prayed for people for, for say, an hour or so, I am zonked because it's taking it out of you because you just don't want to pray the same prayer. I'm not going Catholic on these puppies, okay? Okay, there's not going to be a deep, deep dob off you go. It's going to be Holy Spirit. I want to know what you want to say to this person. I want, I, you know, what, what do you need healing? And in India, it's always general weakness. It's a good thing to start with. And you move up and you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And you give it a... Oh, gosh, I miss it. But after it, you're drained. You're just, it's like something, you know, it's like when uh, Jesus said, I felt that somebody's, my power, uh, leave me there. And then some guy comes to him, like he's a rock star. Oh, Jesus, man, you're the best, dude. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do anything for you. You're like the number one. And Jesus turns around. He says, the foxes have holes. The birds have nests. And basically saying to him, really? Because if you are going to follow me, there is no rest. There is no place to go. You have no idea about what you're about to go into. I call that guy the bum licker. Okay, because he's all over looking at you like what he did to say. He's like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And he's going, okay, keep licking my bum. But you've got to know this. Next person comes up to Jesus in our drama. And he comes and he says, Jesus, I really want to follow you, but I've just got to go and bury my father. I've just got to go and deal with the arrangements. And Jesus says, I'll tell you right now, just follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Could you imagine that in our world now? It's just like, Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul, I've just, it's my dad's funeral today. No, we have to go and set up the tables and chairs in the church. No, no, look, Viv, you cannot bury anybody from your family. They've percolated and it's cleaning. We don't know if his dad is actually dead. His dad may be dying. But there's an awful lot of scenarios going on here. But what I found out this week is obviously anything that comes to an historic place of Jewish culture, I always go straight 
to N.T. Wright. And I go, what does this mean? I think quite a few of you went through the book, uh, Things That Do Not Need To Be Said That Everybody Knows. What was, what was the actual title of that? When it, you know, it's the scenario when everybody just knows it. Okay? You don't, it's, it's the things that we understand that don't have to be spoken. And in this circumstances here, everybody in this story, in this time, understands that when a man says, I need to bury my father, it doesn't matter what is happening, what crisis is occurring in anybody else's life, that man is given free reign from work, from religion, from anything to deal with that job. It's just known. You don't have to say it. So Jesus comes in to this one thing that everybody knows, 100%, this should happen, and Jesus says, no. What we're seeing in this passage here, what Jesus is putting before us, whatever routine you have, whatever is normality to you, forget it. It's all changed. In following me, anything that you get into a routine about, forget your routines. There are more important things. It's not that he wants people to go, you know, just for people not to do it. It's a statement. And when N.T. Wright talks about this, everybody would have understood this is not the way you go about things. Jesus is coming in saying, you've got to understand this is big change. He uses the illustration, is that we have a routine. I think most of our routines are always when we wake up. Mine is a wake up, it's like, oh, press that buzzer two times, starts at 7, finishes at 7.15. I go downstairs because the dog is dragging me, I let the dog out. The dog tries and runs away. I scream at the dog, all of my neighbors over here go, he's always screaming, that guy next door. I finally get the dog, put it on its lead, I make my cup of tea, I drink my cup of tea, the dog wants to come in. I go upstairs, I get a shower, I go to work. Day after day after day after day. Now, what if I rang you all this morning and I said, Rufan, it's 7 o'clock. We're going to start a prayer meeting right now. Don't have a wash. Don't do any makeup. Don't even just leave your PJs on. Get here now. What if every woman's like, what? What? <laughs> no makeup? My PJs? What? <laughs> Could you imagine? We all turn over like, Whoa, whoa, yeah. Hold down there, cowboy. You better go home and have a wash. <laughs> we wouldn't do it, would we? We'd be like, I'm not going to church in my PJs. I've got to warm up, but that's a church. It's like that. Jesus is saying, get ready. Do not expect the normal. Next story. Now remember, the railway tracks of what we're hearing here are coming side by side. We then move into Jesus gets into a boat. I don't know how you handle crisis. I think from what we heard from Josie this morning, it is a perfect illustration of what Jesus is talking about in this, in this next, or what Matthew is talking about from what he's seen in Jesus. I don't know what it is, but I seem to bounce in and out of crisis quite often. And I don't know if I put myself in these places, but I am quite adventurous. I am not a tourist, believe it or not. If I actually go on an all-inclusive, the thing I'm always trying to do is get out of it. I'm trying to find some flipping guy that will take me off in a boat or off into a jungle. I don't mind it. Well, I, I love it because Lizzie's there. 
So, but, but the reality is, is I'm not a tourist. So, you know, and, and by the way, a quick story there. We went to the Dominican. My residency card was out of date. We were told we could get it sorted. I turn up at the airport. No, you're not going to Canada. So Liz gets on the plane and leaves me. And in, in, and in those few minutes of, oh, I'm bouncing off from JFK to Buffalo to an Uber taxi driver minivan guy called Mohammed from Glasgow, Scotland. So this Muslim guy picks me up just as I get out of the plane and drives me all the way to the border, gets locked up at the border with me while they deal with my stuff. He has a fit at immigration. They release us because he's having a go at them. And then he drives me all the way to where Liz is sitting in my truck in Toronto. Some people would have flipped their lid at trying to bounce across America because I could only get back into Canada through walking through the border. It's the only way it could be done. And I could explain it, but it's really just bizarre. But some people could not have handled that crisis. And when I look at these people in this boat, I go, yeah, I've been there myself. Many times I have screamed out to Jesus. Many times I've panicked. But you know what? Crises do not affect me in the way that they used to. So I've just come back from last Sunday from ice fishing up north. It's about eight and a half hours north, 26 kilometers on a snowmobile, middle of nowhere, by myself. No other humans. The first night I'm there, I'm coming back out, and a great big lynx just starts to trot across the lake in front of me. And I'm thinking, this is adventure. Because I'm just, sorry, I'm like, I'm really excited. It's like, ooh. So I chase it. And then it stops a bit and looks at me like, okay, no, no, no. <laughs> it's okay, carry on. Meow. The next day, you're having that mega storm. Now, I have a little tent thing, okay? But as I drive onto the lake, the snow's got deep through the day. And, and it literally is like being on a sea dew in the snow. And, I, and I'm just going, whoa. And I've never been on a lake that looks like it's still got the waves on it. And so I check to see what's going off behind me. And the next thing I know, I'm bouncing across the lake. But I'm not on a snowmobile. <laughs> that just went off without me. And I'm bouncing, and all of a sudden, I can see the snowmobile and drift in the, in, the, you know, in the distance. I'm thinking, wow, that was lucky. If I'd have broke something, I'd have been here for days before anybody found me. Because obviously, the guy at the motel would have wanted his money. He'd go, where's he gone? So I pull it over. I'm like, wow, it's a bit dodgy. So I get to my little tent, and I'm sitting in my little tent. And for one in a million times, I'm actually catching fish. It's like, wow. So, wow. So I'm not leaving this tent. And the wind's howling, and my little tent's going like this, and I can see the snow going. It's getting darker and darker. But I don't know if, if you've been in an ice shack, it steams that you cannot see outside. You have no idea what's going on outside. So it's about quarter past six. It's gone really dark, and I'm thinking, the fish, the, the, they've just stopped. So I pack everything up, and I walk out, and it's just the snow's in my face, and everything's bashing against me. And, uh, and I'm like, wow. So I get the snowmobile going, and my hands are freezing. And I've got everything going. And I look forward, and I start to drive, and I realize I'm in a whiteout. I'm in a total whiteout. And I'm thinking, 26K, middle of a lake. We'll be fine. I know it's that way. <laughs> it's that way there, you know. So I'm going along, going along, and I'm thinking, I have no idea where I am. There's no tracks left, and it's just going off. And I'm like, 
oh, oh, and I'm thinking, and the snowmobile's going, you know, as it goes in the three foot, and it's like, because there's so much snow, the water comes up through the cracks in the ice, so then you see a trail of water behind you, like, <laughs> so you give it a bit more, and all of a sudden there's trees and a wall in front of me, and I put the brakes on, it's like, holy cow, I'm lost, in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a snowstorm, in the pitch black. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, and I can feel my heart. And that thing of scream, panic, roll around and cry. And I'm like, don't panic, don't panic. All your training has prepared you for this. <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking, there's a war. I'm lost, and it's really next to making sense. And I'm thinking, if I keep the trees to my right, I'll just go all the way around the lake until I find my way out of it. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there. I can't even see the fuel gauge. And I'm going along, but the thing is, the whiteout is so intense, I'm having to look at the trees at the side of the lake and go along, and then all of a sudden the light turns, and I'm driving into the trees. So in my brain, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to crash, and I'm going to go and sleep in the trees, and they're going to find my dead body like a popsicle. And, the, and, you know, and all this is going on, but in the back of me, it's going... Paul, you've been in these situations. You can drive through this. It doesn't matter. You are Paul Lapsy. It's like, I'm not helping myself at all. So I'm going to die in there, popsicle. Because I'm thinking 26K, I'm thinking 26K on a road takes about five hours if you're lucky. And I'm going along and I'm going along and all these things are going through my head. It's like, you left the GPS in the motor. Yeah, you left the GPS in the motor. You left your snow shovel in the, in the, in the motor. Yeah, I left everything in the motel. And honestly, I could feel it and it was weird. I went straight back to a time where a bunch of people were trying to kill me. And you've heard the story a million times. I'm not going to get into it. And I remember saying, Jesus, I need you now. And there's always a moment where you go, Jesus, I need you in the middle of a crisis. Jesus, get these people to pray. Get me somebody to look after my kids. Obviously, I'm alive. (laughs) Ruin that story. (laughs) So I get around. The thing is, I know as soon as the trail you come out of it is a waterfall like Ingalls Falls. Because we're up in the hills. It's a man-made lake. And I know we're 20 foot past the line. It's totally open water because it's running over the falls. And I'm not worried about going in the water. I'm more worried about losing my snowmobile, really. So that pressure is concentrate, concentrate. Well, I have to say, after an hour, because I've had to go around the entire edge of the stupid thing at five miles an hour, all I'm looking for is something that says there's a path here. And I come out of it, and I go, They get into a boat, and Jesus is asleep, okay? Interesting. Why say he's asleep? Because he's just a man. Jesus is just a man. He's exhausted. He's worn out. He's doing the miraculous things. The, the fisher guys, <laughs> the fisher disciples, are going on their way. A storm comes up, and all of a sudden, they're freaking out, panicking. Why? Their experience with God has been seen, but they're not living it. That part when Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, you've got to learn to move with me. They haven't got it yet. He stands up because they're shaking him. It's like, look at what's going on. We're not going to be popsicles. We're going to be drowned. And Jesus stands up and he's like, what is wrong with you guys? You've got no faith. You've got no guts. You're not Canadian. 
And he rebukes the wind, and it goes calm. Railway tracks. What has just occurred in the chapters before about faith? I've already given you the clue. The railway tracks are, here are supposed to be the disciples of Jesus, understanding him, seeing him, encountering him, and as soon as there's a crisis, they fall apart. A centurion on the opposite page who is nothing to do with God, understands he sees that God is at work, has the faith from the words of Jesus, brings his son, he's healed. The balance is, is what is going on? Look to how we live our lives. He's, this, this, this paragraph, this thing is looking at, who are we in this journey? So tell me now, when we're coming from, because the railway tracks again, where is water seen in the Bible? Where is water and storms seen in the Bible? Moses, okay, that's number two. Where's number one? Noah, okay. What? The creation, yep. Yeah. So God comes in, the storms, there's water, and he calms it, his words are, aren't they? So sorry, that's one, two, three. So Moses is number three. Number four, which is the most important. No, John the Baptist was not in a storm when he was baptizing people. Rufan, I knew you were more than beautiful. There you go. Jonah. But you know what? We don't go there. And why don't we go there? So, remember, people here in Let the Dead Bury the Dead understand that this is a man's duty. What he said is the opposite. It's the revolution. He's changing it, molding it into something new, saying, do not get comfortable with your routine because when you follow me, it's all going to change. When it comes into this, this, the imagery that Matthew's bringing out, everybody would have knew about where God harnesses the world from creation, from Moses, from Noah, where God calms things, creates things. He's God. All, all of a sudden, in this paragraph, we're seeing Jesus at this moment is from the global picture of where God comes from. It's the same power. Here he is. He's arrived. The imagery of Jonah, everybody wouldn't have understood. Jonah is given a job by God. He's given a God, job by God. He tries to go the opposite direction. What happens? A storm comes up in a lake, in the sea. We've sailors. We've people that should know what they're doing. And Jonah's like, oh, I know what. This is. Sorry, God, you, you don't have to die. This is my fault. It's all on me. My bad. <laughs> all you got to do is throw me over. So they throw him over. The storm calms. Everybody that knew that story, reading this story, sees what's going on. We know that Jonah goes on to do what he's got to do. We know that the disciples go on to do what they have to do. I had uh, a man, a client, come into my shop this week. And uh, it's, it's because of the English accent, I've got a doorway that you don't probably, you know. And all of a sudden, what brought you here? It, you may as well just say, just give me the gospel. <laughs> you know? And so I talk about a little bit about why I was brought here and, and all the rest of it. And, uh, yeah, and, and me and my wife are a pastor of the, the church up here. And 
the same thing that happens nine times out of ten occurs. He starts to come out with why he doesn't want to be around church, why he's got no interest in Christian. The same pattern. Now, I don't know if you get it, but you see, for me, I know that what I am doing, what, what's occurring is I am, as what Josie has shared, sometimes when you're in that moment of God where your routine's been altered, where the challenge is there, the crisis of a panic attack, whatever the crisis is in life that you have, who are you going to be in it for Jesus? How are you going to manage it? What, what, what are people going to see in how you respond in their environment? We are sowing and reaping. Yeah? We get all of this? We are to just share and love. The trouble is, this is what I found. You know, there are 66 verses of sowing and reaping from Leviticus to Revelation. And a lot of them about not mixing seeds. Okay? A lot of them about like three years in, you know, fallow or the farm cycle, you know, like that. But a lot of them, as soon as it hits the New Testament, from Isaiah onwards, it's, it's how God is maneuvering. But why, people, is it now my job to do the weeding? Because the reality is, that good news, that gospel has left the building. There's not many people don't know it. Okay, we're all opening Christmas presents. They're halfway there at that. Why are we now weeding? That's what we're doing. I have to weed this guy so I can sow something. Because we also know in all the sowing and and, uh, reaping is unless it's actually in the proper ground, if it's on the side, the birds will eat it. The reference from the next one to Luke is if the birds are not eating it, Satan's actually eating them. If it goes into the crevices, it'll just wither and die. The imagery is, is that somehow we have to sow into the ground where things will grow. I start telling this guy about my life. It, and, and for some reason, it, I just felt afterwards, it was like one of the best ways I'd ever explained who God was. And uh, for, for this guy in this situation, I just said to him, I said, because he's, going, he's, he's not into it because his grandma was clergy in central London during the war. Her church got bombed. They moved their offices into the Tower of London. Okay, so she became the clergy of the uh, cavalry regiment. So if you go down by Buckingham Palace, the, the, the base there has all the guys with the red, the black hats, the swords. And if you've ever been down, they, they trot up and down through London. They're everywhere. And he says, she was a tough old girl. She would drive into the tower in her Jaguar. You know, it's a very posh English guy I'm talking to. But I could tell whatever she, whoever she was in God, she had scarred a lot of people. <laughs> you know, she was, she was definitely, probably not Jesusy. So I'm weeding what's gone on and sowing something of who Jesus is. And I, rem- I remember saying, think, I've never said this before. And I said, I joined a church and a group of people. And I said, I could see and feel love through them. And when I walked away from it, I realized it wasn't the people, it was who God was in them. And I missed it. And I knew then God was real. It wasn't just nice people. It was that spirit of God that lives within us that comes out of us. And people go, now you've just sowed something in me. Now I've just encountered something. The cup of tea. 
the little, the little uh, piece of encouragement, that little bit glimpse of love saying, there is a little bit of reality in this somewhere. This is a great story and great imagery with a crisis. But we have Jesus showing us he's tired in his ministry, even though he's saving everybody. And then he gets up and he shows us that he's God. And the storm finishes and comes down to nothing. Believe me, we are no different than Jesus in these stories. The thing is, is there are many times back in the past in crises where I screamed and went, I got nothing. But as you grow and as you get out of your comfort zone and as you break your, your routines and as you do open up going, maybe I've got to do some weeding before I just think this is going to just serve God. You know, we know Kate is down with some fabulous people in the town. There's probably an awful lot of weeding going on. And do you know what? We need to pray for them. Doris asked me the other day at the prayer meeting when I was spreading germs over everybody, has my prayers done anything? If you don't know, it's probably burst in your bubble now, but Doris turns up sometimes and prays all over the building for an hour before we get there. I hear and see our worship team, our place of where we are, the, the, the battle that we've just come through that has left us a bit scarred and, 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 and worn and exhausted. But what I see is the product of 12 years of getting very, very real with ourselves. Very, very open and vulnerable and trying to see exactly who are we in this crisis, in this deliverance of a kingdom to a people. I see very healthy people. I see all the sickness. I see all the things that go off within our lives. You know, Josie gave a glimpse, a small window of some of the things that she's walking through that most of us would not understand between her and her husband. And I'll leave for her to share what that is. But there are real battles going on. There are real crises, real storms occurring. And all I can say is as we take communion today, What's your crisis? You know, are, are you actually there? So, oh, yeah, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you. But you're not breaking a routine. You're not, not moving into something that's not. Uh, if you just feel like you've been the same person for, say, the last 10 years, then I would say something's got to shift. Something has to alter. Something within who you are spiritually needs to grow. And it's not like me and Josie, just, and all of a sudden you're, you're telling everybody about Jesus and who he is and a story that's, you know, the people go, wow. It is about coming to a building and praying. It's about turning up at our prayer meetings once a month uh, when we're not sick. It's about engaging and going, I want to grow. I want to move forward. So, Father, I thank you for this really fun story. This, this, this drama I can get involved in and think, I see my life in there. I see a bunch of disciples that really did get in the boat with you and I see some disciples that didn't and say they would give it all and we have no idea what happens to them. We have no idea if the guy did actually get to Barry's dad. We have no idea if the guy that's just sucking up to you really did become a true follower. But what we do know is, is that crises occur. Life is not simple. But Father God, when we sign up, it is like 
the song this morning, you know, if you're going to burn us, if you're going to refine us, but there's, there's pain in that. There's change in that. There's joy in that. There's an incredible sense of belonging in that. So we give ourselves to you today, and as we take this bread and this wine, we understand that being in the boat means sometimes there are storms, but ultimately you are God of all creation. And that is where my faith rises. That is where I rise up in the midst of my challenges. That is where in the midst of a snowstorm, I've got a job to do. I'm not going to be a popsicle in the trees. There are still things that you want to do. So Jesus, I pray your Holy Spirit breaks through in us today, refreshes, renews us today through this bread, through this wine, as we acknowledge your sacrifice to bring freedom into our lives and our spirits that we can continue to sow and reap and probably do an awful lot of weeding. Amen. I have got to stay away from it. And I'm going to allow you guys to come and take communion. If anybody would like prayer, I'm not going to be able to pray for you, but Liz can. I can do it from a distance. But if you've heard something that says, I need to, I need to get back involved, I've been at a break, I've been in a crisis, I've had my own tragedies, whatever it is, and you're saying, I want to grow, and I do not want to be the person that's always just attending Break my comfort zone. Break my environment of my routines. Show me who you are. Come to the front. Let's stand and let's rise and let's come for the communion.